church? Is he beautiful, church? Let's rejoice in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 You can be seated. I'm ready to preach. Let's get this show on the road. Well, man, as Pastor Rod said, it is a momentous day in the life of our local body here. Those of you that have been following on, we are um, kind of in the midst of a really important merger vote. And I'm not going to say anything about that right now other than the fact of let's not press fast forward and miss what the Lord wants to say to this, us this morning from his word. Um, man, I was deeply encouraged as I studied this passage of scripture, and I pray that the Lord would just give us the opportunity to see maybe a familiar Bible story to you with some new eyes today. We're going to be talking about the children of Israel right outside of the walls of Jericho today. And the title of the message is Into the Unknown. Right, yeah. Ben was like desperate. He's like, can I please sing it? Can I please? Yeah, I didn't let him. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, So we are going to be looking at this passage about how God sometimes lead his people into unknown circumstances and situations. And that in the midst of that, we still have to live by faith. So can we pause and ask for the Lord's help and then we'll dive into God's word together. Father, you are worthy. Thank you for the gift of singing and the opportunity to remind ourselves of these bedrock realities. Lord, I pray today that you would open our eyes that we would behold wondrous things from your law. Lord, we need you. I need you. Would you hide me behind the cross of Christ? Allow your truth to speak to your people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. On May 11th, 1804, the Corps of Discovery, led by the explorers, Meriwether Lewis and William Clark, set out from St. Charles, Missouri, up the Missouri River with the intent of finding a waterway to the Pacific Ocean. Now, these two men were skilled river rafters, and when they took off on their expedition, they, scaled, uh, they, they navigated the Missouri all the way up to its source. But when they got there, as significant as a discovery as that was, they ran into a literally giant obstacle known as the Rocky Mountains. Can you imagine a little bit how they felt? So they went on this incredible journey. They made all this wonderful progress. They got to the head of the Missouri in their canoes and they realized we can't go any further. We're standing and looking straight in front of us of an obstacle that is literally insurmountable in the way that we have gone before. I bring this up because I think it reminded me a little bit of what's going on in the children of Israel's life here in Joshua chapter 5 and 6. They have just celebrated a tremendous victory. God has taken them from the wilderness. They have crossed over the Jordan River and are now in the promised land. And just a few miles in front of them, they can actually sometimes see it from the Jordan, was the city of Jericho with its walls standing 50 feet tall, some archaeologists tell us, this was a massive, impregnable structure. So they had celebrated a victory, but now they were facing uncertainty. And remember, the nation of Israel is not a nation of warriors. 
These are people that have been wandering in the desert for 40 years. They're pilgrims. What is more, this generation had not been in Egypt when God delivered his people miraculously. So they hadn't even seen firsthand the miracles that their parents had. So here they're standing, they crossed the River Jordan, and a giant uncertainty called Jericho is standing in front of them. How would they have felt in that moment? No doubt fearful, maybe a little discouraged, perhaps even hopeless. But if you know the story, you know that's not how it ends. Because in spite of the uncertainty, in spite of the unknownness of the circumstance, God showed himself faithful to his people. Which reminds us of a principle that is true not only for the children of Israel in the Old Testament, but for us as well. Listen to this. Our fears do not limit God's faithfulness. Our fears do not limit God's faithfulness. Church, listen to the words of Scripture, if you would, and look up at the screen with me. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is, what's it say? 2 Timothy chapter 2, if we are faithless, he remains for he cannot deny himself. Lamentations chapter 3, verse number 22. Because of the Lord's love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your... That is, even when times are uncertain, even when your enemies are strong, even when the walls are high, the Lord will remain faithful to his people. That leads me to my point this morning, which is simply this. We must live by faith even when the future is uncertain. Perhaps I should amend that and actually say we must live by faith, especially when the future is uncertain. Now, I know as you read the Old Testament that, that these folks are not always paragons of virtue, Right? They're not always shining models of faithfulness. But here in this passage, we see God's people fully resting in God. And we need that reminder, friends. Anybody have any uncertainty in their life today? Raise your hand. I'm looking around. Liars, the rest of you. We all face uncertainty, do we not? You can probably think of five uncertain things in your life right now. Maybe it's a relationship that's out of whack. You're just not sure how that's going to go. Maybe it's a financial situation and you don't see any way out. Maybe it's a health concern with little answers. Maybe you're stepping into a season of life that is unfamiliar and maybe even scary. Maybe you're starting an endeavor that is ambitious and ambiguous. And of course, we as a local church are embarked to embark into completely new territory. Life is filled with uncertainty. Some of you broke out into a cold sweat just as I read that list right there. Uncertainty is not your jam, as it were. So when we face uncertain times, the question is, what does it look like to live by faith? You will face uncertainty, right? I mean, that's, that's inevitable. You've got it right now. What does it look like in the midst of uncertainty to live by faith in the Lord? So glad you ask, because I think that's exactly what this passage is about. Here in this passage, the children of Israel do trust the Lord. And we gain some important principles on how to live by faith even when times are uncertain. So here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to think about that uncertainty in your life right now. Right now, think about it. Got it? 
Got 10 of them? Some of you got a journal out. Think about that uncertainty in your life right now. And I want you to just lean in a little bit and listen with that thing in mind. How does God want to speak to you about the uncertainty, about the fears that you may have in your life this morning? How can you live by faith in the midst of that? Three things, living by faith in uncertain times. First thing is this. If we're gonna do that, we must hear God's voice. As the people of Israel were camped across the Jordan near Jericho, an unexpected visitor shows up at the camp and speaks to Joshua. This passage describes this warrior as the commander of the Lord's armies. And the text will reveal that this person is God himself. This is what theologians refer to as a theophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And there's a couple clues in the passage that reveal to us that this is God himself. First, look at verse number 14 of chapter 5. Look what happens when he shows up. Joshua bowed his face to the ground in homage. So when this person, this figure shows up, he has a sword drawn and Joshua sees him, Joshua falls down on his face in reverence and respect of this individual. Now, if you read the Old Testament, sometimes angels do show up in the Old Testament. And when they do and somebody falls down in front of them, what do the angels usually say? They say something like, get up. But this person doesn't say that. He's like, no, that's a good posture. You should just stay right there. This is the right and fitting position that you should have before me because he's going to reveal he's not just an angel. That becomes even more clear in the next statement. He speaks to Joshua these words, verse number 15. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like this was said to another figure several chapters earlier, actually a book earlier, and his name is Moses. This is the exact same thing that God said to Moses at the burning bush. When God revealed himself to Moses, he's like, take your shoes off, Moses, place you on your standing. And now here, this commander of the Lord's army says the same thing, basically saying, I'm that guy. Joshua, you need to listen to what I say because I am the Lord. You need to hear my voice right now. Then you get to chapter six. So that kind of concludes chapter five. And then in chapter six, the conversation continues. Now, biblical scholars, they're a little bit disagreed on whether this is actually like the commander of the Lord of hosts standing there telling Joshua what to do, or if God is just speaking in another context, it doesn't matter. What does matter is we find out that the Lord is still speaking. How do you know that? Verse number two of chapter six, the Lord said to Joshua, you don't have to be a biblical scholar. You just have to read, right? The Lord said to Joshua, look, I have handed Jericho its kings and its best soldiers over to you. Here's why this is important. In this whole situation, as Joshua and the people of Israel are facing this uncertainty, as they're facing this ambiguity, as they're facing this situation that they don't know how it's going to go, how do they know what to do? They hear from God. It's so critical for us to recognize that. Because when we get into uncertain circumstances, sometimes that's not our first impulse. 
right? You face uncertainty and you want to hear from your friends. You face uncertainty and you want to feel, hear from your feelings. You face uncertainty and you want to hear from the internet. Great source for information. You face uncertainty and you want to go to your media outlet. But what the impulse of God's people here and the impulse that we ought to have is like, no, first of all, I need to hear the Lord's voice. If I am to live by faith, I need to know what God wants me to do. I need to hear from him. Now, here's the good thing. This is awesome. None of you need to, after church today, run over to Stone Mountain and like start wandering around and looking for a guy with a sword drawn. You don't have to do that. I need to go hear from God. So I'm wandering around trying to find this figure. God has kindly spoken to us in a book, and it's called the... God has spoken. It's called God's... There's a reason, because it's God who is speaking to us through that word. So how do we live by faith? The way we live by faith is getting our nose and our eyes on the book. You want to live by faith? Know the Bible. You want to live by faith? Get the word of God. I mean, have you ever been in a place and you have a church service and people are like, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me, Lord. And the Bible is laying there on the pews shut. Friends, I think God is basically saying, man, you want to hear from me, you got to open up the word. We need to be people saturated in the word of God if we are to live by faith. And here's the wonderful thing. The word of God is chalked full of riches for God's people. Look, resolve in the face of uncertainty comes from reliance on the word of God. You want to be brave? In the face of uncertain times, you've got to rely on God's word. Resolve in the face of uncertainty comes from reliance on the word of God. Huh. Here's the wonder. The Bible says this about itself. It is filled with exceeding great and precious promises. When I'm facing uncertain time, I want to be able to run to things like this. Isaiah chapter 43, verse number one. Do not fear. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And the rivers will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched. And the flame will not burn you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel and your Savior. This is God talking to you. Or Romans chapter 8. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything created will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if I am facing death or loss, or grief, or hardship, or pain, or an enemy, or instability, or the unknown, I want those in my arsenal. This is how I live by faith. I get my hands around those things and I do not let go. Listen to this very plainly, church. Your future may be uncertain, but your God is not. He has spoken. And we can know him and we can trust him because he has given us exceeding great and precious promises in his word. How do you live by faith? You got to hear from God. Second, 
How do you live by faith in uncertain times? You follow God's plan. So after the commander of the Lord's army says to Joshua, hey, I've given you the city, he then tells him how he's going to give you the city. Look at what it says, verse number three. March around the city with the men of war, circling the city one one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven ram's horns, trumpets in front of the ark. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times while the priests blow the ram's horn. When there is a prolonged blast of the horn and you hear it sound, have all the troops give a mighty shout. Then the city wall will collapse and the troops will advance each man straight ahead. Now, can I just restate what's obvious right here? This is terrible military advice. This is the worst. It's basically like God is saying, Joshua, get together a marching band and go attack the fortified city. I mean, this is awful. This doesn't make military strategy sense. It doesn't make common sense. This is loco. It doesn't make sense. And yet, as you know, the Israelites did it. And what happened? The walls fell down. The only reason that this unorthodox approach to warfare worked is because God said it would. God told, in a sense, Joshua and the people of Israel to go do a crazy thing, and they did it, and he showed up. Sometimes, friends, God told us to do crazy stuff. Stuff that to our minds just doesn't make sense. It's unorthodox. It's not how we would approach a problem. In fact, I think God loves to work that way. Look at what the scripture says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God sometimes tells us to live in this upside down way because he wants to demonstrate his power in and through us. So he sends a shepherd boy armed with a sling and a stone to knock down a giant. He raises up his whole nation, the lineage of his nation through a couple of senior citizens. He sparks a global movement through a bunch of uneducated fishermen, and he enlists the church's greatest adversary, Saul the persecutor, to write half the stinking New Testament. God is always doing things that are unorthodox or unpredictable, and the greatest act of unpredictability is that God defanged death and the devil himself by sending his son to die a criminal's death. Listen to this. Though God is often unconventional, he is never unfaithful. God does work in unconventional ways. He often calls us to do things that don't make a lot of sense from a human standpoint. But God is always faithful. If he calls you, he will do it. Here's the implication. Perhaps God is calling you right now into some unfamiliar or unconventional territory. Maybe he's asking you to rest instead of worry in the midst of uncertainty. That would be unconventional, wouldn't it? Maybe he's calling you to reject comfort and live with radical generosity. 
Maybe he's calling you to seek his kingdom rather than your own. Maybe he's calling you to release the familiar, embrace the unknown. Whatever unconventional move the Lord may be calling you to make, let me remind you that he will faithfully hold up his end of the bargain every single time. I love the story of the pioneer missionary Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was one of the first missionaries from the West to go to China. And when he went there, rather than doing what most Westerners do, China kind of, or Taylor just kind of rejected Western conventionality and adopted Chinese dress, Chinese custom, did all the things that the people he was trying to reach did. It was a very unconventional strategy at the time. And another thing that Taylor did that was wacko was he didn't ask for money from anyone. In fact, he just started praying and he would present the need and be like, hey, you do whatever the Lord wants. And for for centuries, God funded the China Inland Mission that Hudson Taylor started because in one sense, God told Hudson Taylor to do something unconventional. He said, okay, Lord, whatever you say. I love this little statement by him. He says it this way, depend on it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. That was true for Hudson Taylor. It's true for you. God may call on you to step out into the unknown in some way. God may be calling you to do something that doesn't make a lot of sense from a human standpoint, but if it is God's voice that you hear, then take the step. He will meet you in it. He always upholds his end of the bargain. <laughs> Friends, if, we can, if God's plan can be trusted when it involves attacking a walled city with a bunch of trumpets... Can't we trust him with our lives? God's calling you into something difficult or unconventional or unknown. If he can knock down the walls of Jericho when he says he's going to do it, can't you trust him when he calls you to do something that is challenging or difficult? And the reality is we trust other people for things all the time that we don't understand. Let me give you an example right here. Ready? Let's see here. Roderick Dewberry. Good morning, brother. Looking sharp in the teal sweater. Send. Oh, look at that. Okay, yeah, what's going on there? Oh, my apologies. Yeah. Look, only Julian understands what just happened right now, right? Okay, Julian, like, works in some sort of field that... Space. That's his job. <laughs> he manages space. But, but look, I don't have any idea how that happened. I put in letters, and somehow magically from here... They went from my phone to Rod's phone, and they do it all the time. And look, and we trust Verizon and AT&T to do stuff that we don't understand. Kind of, right? We kind of trust them. <laughs> Somewhat trust Verizon and AT&T. We're like, it works, even though I don't fully comprehend it. Look, here's the thing. Can't we trust God with things we don't understand? 
you don't have to fully comprehend the plan to fully trust the planner. Just put yourself in the hands of the Lord. You don't have to get all the details. He doesn't, he doesn't owe that to us. The problem with the plan is not that it doesn't make sense. The problem with the plan is our minds aren't big enough to get it. So let us put ourselves in the hand of God. God's work done in God's way will always have God's supply. Let's trust ourselves into the hands of the Lord. Number three, if you want to live by faith in uncertain times, you need to hear God's voice. You need to follow God's plan. And third, you need to expect God's power. <laughs> Look what happens in the text, verse number 20. So the troops shouted, and the ram's horn sounded. And when they heard the blast of the ram's horns, the troops gave a great shout, and the walls, what's it say, church? Collapsed. So God's people heard God's voice, they followed God's plan, and what happened? God demonstrated his power. Well, this is amazing. It really is amazing. It shouldn't be surprising. Amazing and surprising are not the same thing. It is an amazing display of God's power, but should we really be shocked? For the consistent theme of Scripture, listen to this, is that God tends to work. Listen, listen, when his people believe. God tends to work when his people believe. So God's people, in obedience to what God had told them to do, believed God. And what did he do? He showed up. He showed up. Scripture emphasizes this over and over again. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6. Now without faith it is, what's it say? Impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Luke 17, verse number 6. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, said the Lord, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. In God's economy, he has chosen to work in response to his people's faith. That's God's way. And the opposite is also true. In God's economy, he has not only chosen to respond positively to his people's faith, but to respond negatively to his people's lack of faith. Look at the gospel of Matthew where it says this, and he did not do many miracles there, because of their, what's it say? Unbelief. Matthew 17. Then the disciples approached Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we drive this demon out because of your little? Here's the principle. God tends to work when we expect him to. Now listen. Listen. You theological types out there, listen to me right now. I understand that this needs to be held in tension. I understand that there's some balance here. I don't want an email. I get it. But what I'm trying to do right now is emphasize the fact that we need to believe God because that seems to be the way he works. You know, if you've ever done the trust fall or anything at work, you know, in order for you to experience that, you have to exercise faith. You don't, you don't experience it before you exercise the faith. You've got to take the step of faith in order to experience people catching you. 
And in the same way, God tends to respond to his people's faith. He did no mighty works there because of their unbelief. Man, I just don't want that to be written on my gravestone. A convicting question that sometimes I ask myself is, man, what if all the prayers I ever prayed, God answered them? How would the world be different? Sadly, I have to answer, not very much. Because you have so little faith that God wants to do something in the world that you don't really ask him for much. Brothers and sisters, God wants us to believe in him, hear from him. What's his word say? Get your roots down deep in the word of God and understand his character and his promises. And then obey him, radically, recklessly obey him wherever he calls to go. And then just know down in your heart, he's going to show up. Oh God, you're calling me and I'm going to step and you better catch me. And he has never dropped a person a single time. He's the ultimate trust fall catcher. God never lets his people down. He is faithful. If I could put this idea very succinctly, I would say it this way. You must exercise faith. Listen, to experience God's faithfulness. Okay, you didn't get that because that's deep. (laughs) You must exercise faith to experience God's faithfulness. As Rod said at the beginning, God is faithful no matter what. But you will not know him as faithful if you never exercise faith. The only way you will experience the faithfulness of God in your life is you need to put yourself out there a little bit where you're like, Lord, I need you to show up. You need to go marching around the walls of Jericho and be like, these folks are gonna kill us if this doesn't work. (laughs) Are you putting yourself in any positions like that where you actually need the Lord to show up? Are you playing it safe? You know, it's possible for Christians to live without faith. We can do the whole Christian thing and have no faith. Just go through all the motions, but never put in ourselves in a position where we need God. Let that not be true of Gospel Hope Church. Let us be a group of believers are saying, God, we need you and God, we trust you. And live in such a way where he needs to show up. Now this passage begins with a stark contrast. Two people that went on different trajectories in their life. One chose to trust God and live by faith. And the other one chose to reject God and not live by faith. First one's maybe not a name that you've ever heard before. His name is Heal. And look at what it says in the text there in Joshua chapter 6. Verse number... Verse number uh, 26, sorry. After Joshua and the children of Israel conquer the city, Joshua pronounces this curse over it. The man who undertakes the rebuilding of the city Jericho is cursed before the Lord. He will lay the foundation at the cost of his firstborn. He will finish its gates at the cost of his youngest. Then several, several years later, this guy comes along, his name is Heel. And he does exactly what Joshua said not to do. Look at what it says. Heal, the Bethlehemite, built Jericho. At the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, he laid its foundations. And at the cost of Segub, his youngest, he finished its gates. According to the word of the Lord, he has spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. Whoa. 
So basically, this guy said, heal said something like this in his heart. Well, I don't believe God's going to do that. Yeah, you're not supposed to build Jericho. I know the rumors. I know the legends. That's just a wives' tale. I'm not going to believe that. And in his unbelief, God still proved himself faithful. Friends, God will always keep his word. He will always keep his word. He will keep it for bad if we don't trust him, and he will keep it for good if we do. And so Heal lives in unbelief and suffers the wrath of God for it. On the other hand, there's another woman in this story that we have returned to several times, and her name is Rahab. And she chose to live by faith. Look at what it says. Joshua, verse number 25, spared Rahab the prostitute, her father's family, and all who belonged to her because she hid the messengers Joshua had sent to spy on Jericho, and she still lives in Israel today. So Rahab, before this all happened, hears the rumors. She hears the things about God and his people and their coming, and she chooses to believe what God says. Now, do you think Rahab was afraid? When she's hiding those spies, do you think she was afraid? When the army comes marching around the city, do you think she's afraid? Oh, somebody's going to find me out. I'm going to get in trouble here. Do you think when the walls start shaking, Rahab is afraid? Yes, and yet she believed God. And what does God do? God preserves her. God saves her. Now, here's the beauty. This isn't the last time we hear about Rahab. Fast forward several centuries to the Gospel of Matthew. And the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 1. <laughs> Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, and Obed followed Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. Skip ahead. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Look, Rahab trusted, trusted God because she thought she was saving the spies. But God had a bigger plan. Rahab trusted God and God was saving the world. Friends, God is always more interested in your good than you are. He is more committed to your good than you are. Rahab had no idea what God wanted to do in and through her, but she believed God. And the story of Jericho actually illustrates that. That God is always, always, always committed to his people's good. And it actually points to a day when God would be even more committed to his people's good. Here the children of Israel were standing in front of an enemy they couldn't possibly defeat. Walls high, they're not soldiers. And God says, I will fight that battle for you. <laughs> Children of Israel, you don't have to do nothing but trust me. You walk around the walls and I will tear those walls down. Those Canaanites with their iron chariots, those walls that are too high for you to topple, I will beat your enemies for you. You are not strong enough, just trust me. And that's where every one of us were. Because there are some enemies that you and I are powerless to fight. 
death and hell and sin and the devil, those enemies are too strong for us to fight. Those walls are too high. Those iron chariots are too strong. We do not have the ability to topple them. And yet God sent the commander of the Lord of armies to deliver a message to us. And it is this, I will lay down my life for my people and I will fight their battle for them. All they gotta do is trust me. God sent Jesus into the world to beat the enemy that you and I could not beat on our own. We can trust him, church. We can trust him. The cross of Christ is the ultimate demonstration that God is committed to your good. Trust him. He is for you more than you are for yourself. Trust him. Lean into him, hear his voice, follow his plan as unorthodox as it may seem and then expect him to show up. Has he not done it before? Will he not do it again? I love the story from where Jesus is with his disciples. Peter, Peter and all of them are out fishing and they're good at fishing. And Jesus shows up and he says to Peter, hey, throw the nets on the other side. And Peter's like, wait, 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 wait. Look at what it says in the text there of Luke chapter five. Master, he's very respectful about it. We've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. Jesus, we're, fi we're fish, you're a carpenter, we're fishermen. We're tired, John, hey, John, back me up, bro. We've been fishing, Jesus. We've been fishing. What you're saying doesn't make any sense. And then it says, but if you say so, we'll let down the nets. If you say so, we'll let down the nets. And when they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear so that they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled their boat so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus's knees and says, go away from me because I am a sinful man. Sometimes God is gonna ask you to do things that don't make no sense. That's awesome grammar, I know. But we need to like Peter say, if you say so, I'll throw the nets on the other side. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. But if you say so, I will throw the nets on the other side. Guys, sometimes God leads us into the unknown so that we can know him. He takes us to places that we don't wanna go or are willing to go because he wants to reveal himself to us just like he did to the Israelites, just like he did to Peter. So here's my question for us. Is God telling you to throw the nets on the other side in some way? Is God calling you to take a step of faith somewhere? Maybe it's a relationship that needs mended. Maybe it's a struggle that you've ran away from Maybe it's a step of faith into a new endeavor. I don't know what it is for you, but maybe God is calling you to take some sort of step of faith and say, okay, I know what God wants for me. I've heard from God on this. I do know what he wants. I'm a little afraid. It's uncertain. It's a little scary. I'm not sure I want to follow God's plan. 
but I will. And friend, I wanna tell you, if you will do that, if you will take that step of faith and obedience, expect God to show up. Because that's who he is. That's what he does. So I wanna close in this way today. I'm gonna ask you to respond. Remember, I said, lean in, think about that thing in your life. I'm gonna ask you to be a little bit bold. Our series is Courageous Faith right now, so let's be courageous. If there is an area in your life where you're saying, you know what? The Lord is calling me to take a step of faith. I don't know what it is. You don't have to share that. But the Lord is calling me to take a step of courageous faith. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand. And when you stand, I want people around you just to pray over you. Okay, just to pray over you and minister to you. You don't have to share any details. But they're just going to lay their hands on you. And they're going to pray that you would have the faith to trust in the Lord. Are you ready? You ready? Okay, respond. On the mark. Get set. If you need to take a step of courageous faith, stand up. Amen. All right, go ahead. Go up. All right, all over the room. Great. Amen. Stand up if you need to take a step of courageous faith. Give like three more seconds. Okay, great. All right, find somebody around you, please. Would you just pray over these people? Minister to them right now. We'll take a minute, just pray over them. Now close this in a word of prayer. Nobody alone, nobody alone, find somebody to pray over. that ministry from the people of God. We need you, Lord. We need you. We are prone to doubt. We are prone to waver. We are prone to fear. 
But God, you are faithful. You are faithful. You are good. You are committed to us. You are for us. You are on our side. Lord, what more can you do to demonstrate your love for us than send your son to die on the cross for us? You are in our corner. So God, we trust you. We confess. We trust you. We long to trust you more. I pray for these folks that are saying they need faith. Lord, fill them with courageous faith. Help them to hear from you. Help them to follow your plan and then show up. God, make us brave. Make us courageous. Fill us with your word. In the precious name of Christ, all God's people said, amen. All right, let's worship the Lord in song together.